Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to do something that is a huge departure from anything you've ever seen me do here before. Normally, the presentations, uh, there's copious notes, and I take you from A to Z on a topic, and we get the facts, data, and evidence, and we get to the very end, and then we take conclusions, and we talk about what all this means. And today, we're going to do something completely different. First of all, I want to let you know that I have zero preparation for today. I have zero notes about today. This is all completely off the cuff. And when, if that isn't odd enough, I'm also going to bring on a guest today. And his name is Ernie Falcon. We've been friends for, gosh, I don't know, maybe 25 years now. And I don't have a huge amount of respect for a lot of people. And, you know, I, I believe that everybody should be treated with dignity, but that doesn't mean I have to respect every person. And in fact, if I want to be completely forthright, I don't have a huge amount of respect for most people. The people that for whom I have a tremendous amount of respect can probably be counted on one hand. And my guest today, Ernie Falk, is one of those people that appears on <laughs> just one hand. And it's because of the way he thinks and where his priorities lie, and of course, his intellect. And we were having a conversation not long ago, and we were kicking around a lot of things that I thought were, I don't want to over oversell this, but I'm going to say I thought a lot of the thoughts were profound in terms of where our country is today. And what at least Ernie and I are seeing out there. And at the conclusion of our conversation, I, I told Ernie, I said, you know, these conversations are great, but they're between you and I. And, and in a sense, we're preaching to the choir because he had, Ernie and I share a very common point of view, not identical, but, but very, very similar. And I said, so you and I were picking these things back and forth and we're enjoying each other's company. And then we hang up the phone. And, and what have we done for anybody else during that period of time? So today we're going to have uh, another conversation right off the cuff. But we're just going to let you watch or listen in on that conversation. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Ernie. Ernie is a marketing professional and has been for decades. He's incredibly talented in that area. So it probably isn't a surprise to you that for going on about 20 years, Ernie has studied propaganda and its impact on populations, on society. And of course, whenever you look at the subject of propaganda and how it influences uh, broad swaths of the pop population, you must, of necessity, have a strong understanding of psychology, and that Ernie does. He spent a lot of time studying psychology. So that flushes out for you, at least as far as we can go in this description in the intro, who Ernie is. Um, anything else that you learn about Ernie during the course of this call, or anything new you may discover about me during the course of this uh this Zoom meeting that he and I are having together and we're letting you in on it, um, anything else you learn about him or about me is going to be by virtue of this conversation between he and I. Never done it before. Like I said, completely novel. I hope it has some value for you. Ernie, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Dave. Thank you so much for that fabulous introduction. 
Yeah, our conversations that we've had over the years, we've we've covered a lot of areas, but this most recent one we know is is very near and dear to our hearts, but I think it's because it's so near and dear to the fabric of the individual human being from, from our very beginning. So as we look back as far as we can in history, philosophers, poets, and the oppressed, of course, have spoken or have written about their desire to be free, to experience true liberty. And then we think of, of quotes from Voltaire, who talks about the the fool who is who reveres their own chains. They don't even know that they're enslaved, and yet that's part of the deception that we look at when we look at propagandists and their agenda to keep people deceived into believing that they are free. So Dave, uh, when I was talking about, and as I've been making notes about reclaiming one's authority, of course, you always come to mind. You've been an incredible part of my personal journey, Dave. Uh, the book Income Tax Shattering the Myths. Of course, I've known you since before that book was completed. As I listened to your podcast, as we met down at Front Sight, and, and we've had a relationship even before, again, that book, uh, which, which, of course, predates your book Body Science, which, again, is another level of liberating oneself from the agenda and propaganda about what nutrition is. So Dave, I just want to thank you again for being a part of, of my journey and helping me think at greater depths to cut through the bullshit of what we've been fed and really accept for ourselves that it's our responsibility to know what freedom is and to dig even deeper to make sure that we know that we're still not just accepting someone's agenda. You know, it's interesting, um, the color of freedom. It, when we look at, at the United States and our political, the two-party system in and of itself is this color and illusion of choice. And so, you know, there's a lot of other areas that we can cover and and, and we will throughout this, this, um, this conversation, but we can see it surrounding us everywhere in the political scene, even though we, that's not the purpose of, of this conversation, but freedom or our own individual liberty is being challenged or we're being deceived to accept a different reality than what our true potentiality is. And so that's what we want to uncover. Very well said. By the way, thank you for the words about body science. That may be one of the most uh, meaningful descriptions of body science that I've ever heard. Um, I, I, it, when you said those words, body science is this, that, and the other, uh, it really, really struck a chord. So thank you for that compliment about body science. It means a lot to me. I, I think one of the things that I want to let the audience in on is that a huge part of this discussion as we proceed is going to talk about so I'll, I'll turn this volume off on my laptop in a moment. Uh, a huge part of this conversation and the message of this conversation is, going to, is not going to be focused on what the government or various industries, or if we can take all of that and wrap it up in the phrase, the establishment. Not so much about what the establishment is doing, because I think a lot of people are very clear on what the establishment is doing uh, in a very negative sense. They're very clear on the negative things that the establishment is doing to our society, to our citizens, 
um, to our culture and so forth. I think there, there are a lot of people, their antenna are up and they get it. A big part of this conversation is going to be what happens from there. Uh, and you and I, in our last conversation, and I'm sure we'll retract a lot of this again, a lot of what we talked about is why the American people are not more, are not taking action. Uh, I think social media provides a wonderful platform for people to vent and do nothing. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that more as, as we go along, but we talked about in your opening comments, you talked about the man's yearning for freedom. And I know that you've read many, many, many of the great philosophers. So what I'm about to say is not a surprise to you. So I, I say it for the benefit of our audience. If you had asked me 35 years ago, if my fellow citizens felt passionately about freedom and liberty, my answer would have been, oh, absolutely. Are you fucking kidding me? Of course they do. Um, here we are in July of 2023. And if somebody asked me that same question today, my answer would be, some do. Some, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people would have you believe that they care about it. Mm. But one of, one of the attributes of somebody who cares, who truly cares about something, is they are willing, when needed, hopefully it's not, but when needed, they are willing to sacrifice. That's one of the measures in my book. One of the measures that telegraphs whether a person truly is committed to something. If they're parents all the time say, you know, I, I sacrifice for my kids, and most do, very much so. But when it comes to even a small sacrifice for the cause of liberty, I'm going to say the lion's share of the American public, a large lion's share of the American public isn't there. And they're unwilling to make a sacrifice. And their unwillingness to make a sacrifice, any sacrifice, even a small sacrifice, telegraphs to me that the stuff that's coming out of their mouth about their adoration for liberty is bullshit. So I I don't know if you want to jump right, <laughs> right <laughs> in at this point, Ernie, and, and talk about maybe some of the things that you and I have observed about our fellow citizens and uh, what it portends and whether it's whether it can be changed, because I, I think you and I agreed the other day that if something doesn't change. All the anti-liberty establishment forces, they're going to win. They're going to prevail. They have been to a great extent prevailing. And if the American people don't value liberty to the point where they are willing to make even a tiny sacrifice, then shut the fuck up about liberty and accept the fact that you're going to be turned into a slave. Suck it up and shut the fuck up. Stop saying how much you care about liberty if you're not willing to sacrifice this fucking much. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think of uh, sometimes quotes just come to mind. I happen to have this one fairly handy, but but the quote that comes to mind is from George Bernard Shaw that liberty means responsibility. That is why most men dread it. And when we look at the national scene and we see that we're losing more and more liberties, even on a, a county level, on your city level, you see that new liberties liberties are being taken by politicians that that of course take away liberty from the citizenry. And so this caring is is really important. I think that these are some of the questions now that can be an activity for the listeners to consider. When we talk about freedom, we're looking at freedom to to experience something or freedom from something. So, for example, if we look at, um, you know, freedom to do something, I want freedom to start a business. Someone goes, uh, goes to look at the regulations of what they need to do to start a business. There's a lot. And so they might jump through a bunch of hoops and Again, Dave, if, if we're not having these checks and balances where you have shown me a number of times, oh, hey, the statute doesn't, doesn't state that. They're just telling you the person behind the counter has a job and they've been told this is what they're required to ask. And so the person- Or demand. Oh, yeah, or demand, yes. And so without us asking questions, is this really required? How do I know that it's required? Again, it takes what you've done, Dave, is the research to verify whether or not what we're being told in this case by government is true or not. And this steps, this goes even way deeper when we go into other authorities. Uh, we know the medical is another, is another authority that we should be questioning. Uh, we should be questioning really all types of authority, including the parental authority that we had that established our belief systems when we were children, because they were operating based on a belief system that was given to them by other authorities. And so really questioning it all. But coming back to, to the freedom to experience something, if we want to experience, again, create a new business or um, act in one's self-interest, as long as we're not, you know, violating the rights of others, or let's even say, I want to experience um, a better career path, or I'd love to experience a deeper relationship with a partner or with a child. All of these things are possible, but again, these are freedom for versus freedom from. If we were truly oppressed, and not to say that there are there is an oppression here in the United States, uh, of course there is, but, but we even look at classes of people who might experience uh, deeper levels of oppression. What would they want to experience? They want to have freedom from arbitrary rules, being shut out by a privileged class, uh, from tyranny of itself. Um, they'd like to experience freedom from being systematically deceived, which we can see. We look at the last several years and we've seen a systematic program and propaganda to deceive the American people. And how can we see that? When we look around, Dave, we can see that the vast majority of people are not in good health. And <laughs> yeah. And where does that come from? Is it is it because people really want to look and feel that way? Or is it that they just have addictions to things that they've bought into as this is okay for me to do? I don't have to obey the laws of, of nature, biology. 
and of the psyche. And and if later, I, I don't want to necessarily go too depart too far into the psyche, but but you and I, um, I think we touched on this uh, one time before as well. That the body, uh, there's ancient laws. One is is this comes from Hermes Trismegistus that as within, so without. And so when we experience an external ailment or disease, it is usually tied to an inner, more deeper rooted item. So for example, someone's experiencing stress and anxiety constantly. Later, that person is having emotional, um, even deeper emotional stresses, and those are those are being viewed in the relationships. And then later, they might experience cancer because they've let it eat them up for so long. They haven't been able to forgive. And so these things that initially started out as, as a negative emotional energy or as an anxiety, they later build and become a physical disease. And so again, this is this is now personal responsibility and and also liberty to be able to live a a more free life. If someone is experiencing cancer, how free is their life? They're not free from pain, they're not free from being able to do the things that they were doing before. And many times now when they go get they go to a doctor's visit and they're getting news about what their condition is. Again, that they, they may just be the doctor may be looking at charts, looking at the history, but this new information then becomes a new program that the person accepts as a reality for themselves, and it continues to deteriorate their own true power and and liberty. What we've talked about before is their personal authority. There there are countless individuals who have been given diagnostics or diagnoses that say you will never walk again. Um, you're going to die within six months. And they've been able to heal themselves because they didn't buy in and they sought to go a different route. But of course, the vast majority don't experience life that way. You said a moment ago, uh, you posited the question, do, do people really want to exist? We're talking physically. Do they really want to exist in that physical condition? And one of the things that I, when, I, when I'm talking about body science, uh, typically the format on my videos is I talk about whatever the subject matter is, and I probably eat up 95% of the video on that. And then towards the end, I talk a little bit about income tax, shattering this and body science, because I want people to buy them. I want them to have a better life. And Ernie, you've read them both. You know that that they are highly instrumental in Americans having a better life. Um, so I talk about both of those, and I ask people to to get a copy of them and so forth. When I'm telling people about body science, I often say, "You believe the things you believe because there has been a massive disinformation campaign about human physiology, most specifically nutritional physiology." that started in the early 1960s. The government jumped into that in 1980. And I, I do want to take a moment, because I think this is a good time to read a quote here. Let me get my computer back up. Okay. This is a quote from William Casey, January 1981, after he'd been appointed director CIA, 
And it was from his very first staff meeting and people present in the staff meeting have confirmed he did say this, quote, we'll know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Everything the American public believes is false. And that plays into so many topics, and I'm sure we'll get to a lot of those today. But since we're talking about body science and health, and do people actually want to live their life looking or feeling that way? Um, everything the American people believe is false. I continue on with this quote concerning your physiology. The American people have been bullshitted extraordinaire for at least 60 years. And maybe not so much since SARS-CoV-2, but prior to that, I think the average American would have said, medical people would never lie to me. I mean, what's in it for them to lie to me? Okay, so the medical community is uh, a trillion dollar industry and the last time I looked, it's probably more now, but the last time I looked, it was the, the medical community, including Big Farm and Big Med, is 23% of the U.S. economy. Okay? How do people imagine it got to 23% of the economy? Because if you go back to, say, before the 20th century, Americans weren't sick in any significant numbers. They are now. And that didn't just happen. It's not happenstance. Uh, people believed their doctor. And perhaps the doctor thought he was saying something that was true. They believed medical research, which now we know is rampantly falsified. And that's just not me saying it. It's people within the research community. It's a former editor of the uh, British Journal, um, British Medical Journal. Um, and many other people within the field are now saying that the field is rife with fraudulent, not mistaken, fraudulent uh, research papers. Um, even big food, uh, they need to have solid science from which to create their next biggest, greatest product they're going to bring out that's going to kill more people. They need the science. And to be accurate when they're developing these Frankenstein foods in their laboratories. And even the processed food industry has stated that 42% of all the science they attempt to replicate in their laboratories, and we're just talking about a small part of science, right, that's relevant to their industry, 42% of the conclusions reached in scientific studies, they cannot replicate in their labs. And their labs are the best labs money can buy. So. But the American public has believed. We're going to talk about income tax and the American public's belief in a moment. But concerning physiology, the American public has believed what they've been told. With that mindset, consciously or subconsciously, they wouldn't lie to me about that. Why would they lie? What's in it for them? Yeah, ignore that 23% of the U.S. economy. What's in it for them? Okay. So I was walking through a store the other day, and a woman walked by me. 
I'm going to say she was about five, 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 six. And she was a word we don't hear very often anymore. Rotund. And she had part of her head shaved and the remaining hair was in some crazy thing. And I'm not judging her as a person. Let me be very clear about that. But I, I, as she walked by, I thought to myself, when I was a boy watching cartoons on television, a vision very similar to what she looked like would have been put up on screen as like the troll that lives under the bridge. So, of course, you know, I'm here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be 64. So I was a boy a long time ago. But nevertheless, how did we get to the point where I'm going to guess this person was probably in her late 20s? And literally, somebody who was creating cartoons back in the late 1960s would have looked at her and said, you know what, I'm going to change a little bit of this and that, just a few things I'm going to put, and now it's going to be a troll in our next cartoon. So I go back to your question. Is she happy like that? Is she happy with being grossly obese? Is she happy, uh, and I'm sure she doesn't think of it because of her age, she probably can't connect to what I just shared with you, but if she could, is she happy looking like somebody who would have been a, a visual pattern from which a cartoonist would have created a troll 45, 50 years ago? Okay. My fellow citizens never fail to surprise me. So I don't really have an answer to, is she happy like that? From my construct, I'd have to say somewhere deep down inside, the answer is no, she's not. But I also know if we could bring her in and stand her right here and I were to ask her if she was happy, she would probably tell me, first of all, it's none of my fucking business. But if she was forthright, she might, I'm not, I'm not forthright, if she decided to reply, she might tell me, yeah, I'm happy. Of course I'm happy. I built this life. I created, I am who I am, blah, 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 blah. Speaking just for me. Not buying it. But the question is, and this is what you and I talked about at length the last time we talked to her. The question is, how do we turn it around? Presuming she's not happy. <laughs> On this and many other subjects that are plaguing this country, how do we turn it around? How do we convince people such as this lady I'm talking about? I'm sure if I told her all these things that you've been told about nutritional physiology that everybody agrees are true, they're all not factual. They're not scientific. They're not true. And let me tell you what is true concerning nutritional physiology. 
I'm sure she would think I'm a raving fucking lunatic. Because she has bought the establishment's narrative hook, line, and sinker, and is 100% convinced that everything that she has ever learned and been told by those people in authority is true. And she has anchored herself in those truths. I readily admit, I don't, I, I wrote body science. But obviously, that's reaching a small percentage of the overall population of this country. And when it comes to body science, small population, small percentage of the world's pop, tiny, tiny, infinitesimally small population or percentage of the world's population. Um, I have no idea how to reach this vast, the majority, vast majority of the American people and open them up to the fact that virtually everything they've been told is a lie and they need to start listening to some other voices. I have no idea. How about you? Yeah, it can be uh, very shattering to one's foundation to realize that the vast majority of what we think we know is just has just been programming. I really feel, Dave, for for this woman who you're using in this example, not only because deep down we know she's not happy, and I know this from personal experience. Um, my journey has had ups and downs. I've had my own faults, ideas, and wanted to hold on to things that were not natural law. But hey, if I wanted to eat what I wanted to eat that satiated my taste buds in a moment, if that's what the desire, if I wanted that, and that was more important than my 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 health, then I was led down a path. I was 60 pounds heavier than I am today, actually more than 60 pounds. And yet I know the lack of energy. I know the ailments that come with that. Um you know, this woman may be experiencing hemorrhoids. She may be experiencing a number of ailments that clearly show that she's not happy. But again, people want to revere those chains because they're a trade-off for a temporary happiness or satiation, uh, a desire of, or I would even say a want of the ego. This is what the ego knows. And so let's just, let's just keep absorbing that. And what's so sad, Dave, is that as long as people believe, as this woman believes, that it's not her fault. It's not her, she can't change it. It's just the way her body is. It's, this is the way genetics are, or this is just because of, you know, circumstances. As long as she's not willing to accept 100% responsibility, She's going to continue in that. And a couple of thoughts came to my mind, Dave, as you were sharing this story. Number one, the first one was uh, from Socrates, was about Socrates and how the Oracle of Delphi said, well, Socrates is the most intelligent man. And of course, when he's approached uh, and was told that, he said, well, it can't be because I know nothing. And the Oracle of Delphi said, yeah, that, that's why. Because you're willing to <laughs> you're willing to not be deceived by the things you think you know. And because when whenever somebody thinks they know something, they shut themselves off 
from the potentiality of learning more. And so again, this is the ego. The ego is this program that we're developing, and there are healthy egos. Uh, you know, you can you can build one's you build a career based on on learning. And you know, the way that I've understood it is the ego is a personality that's developed that is in response to what the world is asking of us. And we live that through not not necessarily chronologically, but but through about half of our lives we can live the egoic uh, life where, where we're gaining experience and knowledge and the things that we learn. And so then someone asks a, asks a question or a problem is presented and we go back to the experience and the, the knowledge that we've gained and that's our resource. Versus uh, what Einstein talks about is the intuitive mind. So the egoic mind is the rational mind, which is extremely valuable and can be fine-tuned. But the intuitive mind opens up a whole nother world, but can only be accessed if we don't believe we already have the answer. And so part of this process, and this is why it's so uncomfortable, is we need to look at ourselves and, and face the reality. Okay, I'm X pounds overweight. Or, hey, maybe you've got your, your fitness level looks great, but you're not feeling the energy you used to have. Or you have some internal things that nobody would know, but but you know that you're experiencing them. This is doing the inner work. Again, the relationship with the body to the psyche is very connected. Nutrition, exercise, all of these play a role. In fact, when we talk about trauma, many times childhood trauma will create adulthood diseases, but some of these traumas aren't even in the conscious memory. And as we look at food or inadequate exercise or poor habits like smoking, these habits or these, these things create slow, gradual trauma on the body. And as we mentioned before from, from Hermes Trismegistus, the, the law of nature, one of the laws, as within, so without, it applies the other way, as without, so within. So now someone has poor health, guess what? Mood swings now the psyche is being affected by the impact of what's going on in the body. Again, this affects personal liberty. Because what are we going to do with our personal liberty, Dave? So many of us have closed off what's even possible for living a full life. We live, uh, as, as what Henry David Thoreau says, lives of quiet desperation. We're not living fully. We've just accepted these limitations. And, and yet it sucks. We don't want to live that, which truly means we're not experiencing liberty. And so taking one's authority, I mean, we can we can look at at quotes of freedom and we can we can kind of rely on on uh, the word is, is, is escaping me. Uh, anyway, we 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 hear these quotes and, and get excited and say, yes, I have liberty. I, have, I believe in freedom. And yet we don't even believe it for ourselves. And so when you ask the question. How do we convince society this is an individual? I kind of think of, of Gandhi or, or even Michael Jackson said it, uh, sang it in, in one of his songs, that if we want to change the world, we got to start here. And being the example, and, and we've Dave, we've seen this so many times where people have made a, a healthy change in their lives and their body transforms, friends and family will then begin to ask, what the hell are you doing? Holy shit. Look at you. You've, you've made it a remarkable change. 
Unfortunately, many of those people will listen and hear what they've done. Oh, hey, I went I went and purchased Dave's book, Body Science, and I followed this to the T, and that's why how I I lost 60 pounds. And yet they'll go, oh, that's not for me. But if mm. enough, if enough of us are doing it, if enough of us are making those personal changes, we'll remove, start removing the excuses for other people. Because Dave, if we lived in a society where the vast majority of us are fat, the, the circle of influence that we have are out of shape, then that becomes a new norm, a new acceptable norm. Uh, go into the offices of most companies and you have people who are just like, they, they look around, they who they surround themselves with and go, yeah, I'm part of this group. This is some, one of those triggers that happened years ago when I was walking into a fast food restaurant. I looked around, everyone was obese. I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. I should not be eating in this establishment. So these levels of awareness, and this is really what, what I get so excited about is uncovering the darkness or what I call, what Carl Jung talks about is the unconscious within us. We want to shed light on the lies and the deceptions that we've been buying into. So we talked a little bit about Socrates, but I also want to back up and talk about the propaganda side, because you talked about the 60s, how we really started to see a wave of new propaganda come into play. And, and part of this was because of a, a man by the name of Edward Bernays. And I'm trying to remember the exact relationship tie-in. I think he was married to the niece of Sigmund Freud, but he was utilizing psychology and was working with the biggest um, cigarette companies to get people hooked on cigarettes, you know, making it cool and making, you know, we there are a lot of campaigns that that he was personally responsible for. And of course, the the foods that that were then being introduced and have been introduced since that are just toxic for our bodies. Why any thinking individual would look at those those ingredients and go, number one, I can't read most of these. Or if I look at the ingredients, these are shit for my body. There's no way. But if they can sell it as, hey, this is going to, you know, make you make you cool, or or this is going to be, you know, look at this skinny person who's enjoying this shitty food. That can be you too. Would they just buy into the image of things, which again is the color of of the idea versus what the reality is. And so Six out of ten doctors recommend Chesterfields. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Sounds> cool. <laughs> Sorry, just popped into my mind some of those old cigarette ads. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, the, yeah go ahead. And yeah, well, I was just gonna say, remember what the medical community said? There's absolutely no health risk for pregnant women to be smoking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I don't mean to move away from from your train of thought we come, we'll come right back to that uh i think we've that sort of absurdity that these things are safe to do uh, when in fact the reality is or not we experienced that in towards the end of 2020 all of 2021 most of 2022 so that dynamic where the experts are saying it's fine to do that um uh, in, in fact it's good to do that. They were wrong in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and they were wrong over the last several years. But back to your point. Yeah, it really is interesting how we can accept such illogical ideas. But if 
we believe that it's supported by enough people, especially if those people have some type of authority, then we just throw all reason and our personal authority out the out the door. And then later when we're slaves to our own habits or our own repetitive thoughts, we've thought of a, a, a particular idea so frequently or over and over again that, that now it's just an absolute truth and we're not even willing to even question it. We truly are. We're slaves to those ideas. So I acknowledge that I am cynical about my fellow man. Let me start with that. Um, so that people don't suddenly say a couple minutes down the road, damn, he's cynical. I want to acknowledge that up front. I, I am cynical about my fellow man. Um, whether we're talking about um, all the things that they said were healthy for pregnant women to do 70 years ago, or whether it was discussions about the safety and efficacy of uh, mRNA, SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, actually not vaccines, I should stop using that word, therapeutics. Well, no, they are not vaccines in any true sense of the word vaccine. But the the reason, and and I want to emphasize this timeline that the experts were telling pregnant women that it's safe for your fetus if you do this and this and this. And of course, that was absolute nonsense. Um, And then we have the events of 2020, 21, and 22. So there's there's a huge time span there. And I would like to raise the issue of they did it then, they did it recently, and they've done it through all of the interceding years. Why? They do it because it works. Why does it work? It works because people are lazy motherfuckers. They would rather believe somebody who positions themselves as an authority figure, or in fact is an authority figure. The public would rather believe that person than do a lick of independent research. Now, I know we go back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. If you wanted to do any sort of meaningful research, you needed to go to a library. And depending on what you're researching, you might have had to go to a law library or a medical library or so forth. So there was a lot of time and, and difficulty involved in conducting that research. Fast forward to you know well into the 21st century, and researching um, involves the very, very arduous task of clicking and doing this with your fingers. And nothing's changed. The authorities, the establishment, they're still bullshitting people. And they're still doing it because it still works. If suddenly, now that people have access at their fingertips to all of the world's knowledge, if suddenly people were using that tool and doing research, and they weren't completely lazy. The establishment, 
would stop doing it because there would no longer be a payoff. There would no longer be success. It would no longer accomplish their goals. They continue to do it because it continues to work. And it continues to work because Americans are, in the main, lazy motherfuckers. You know, most of the people who follow me are aware that my YouTube channel uh, was deplatformed by YouTube. And Facebook removed my then primary business page that had 145,000 people following it. Uh, both of those were removed because I was telling the truth about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the therapeutics masquerading as vaccines. And, and granted, you know, science is sort of my bag, but I don't think that the average American was incapable of doing the research that I did and presenting the information I did and drawing people's attention to the rational and uh, ne necessary conclusions to which the data led. I don't think others, I don't think I'm the only guy around who could do it, okay? Uh, but I wasn't seeing very many other people doing it. Uh, for instance, to this very day, uh, this is, I believe, is the issue that, that caused YouTube to uh, take my platform down, uh, my channel down, because this the, the potential harm to big pharma. When I broke the news that the mRNA vaccines do not induce the production of memory T cells in the body. Now, I want to be very cautious for people who hear the, the phrase T-cells thrown about. There are a slew of different T-cells. I'm talking about a very specific type called a memory T-cell. And there's a whole process, and I described that described it in a video that I put up on YouTube. And I explained <clears throat> why reinfection was happening so prevalently in people who were getting vaccinated. And I explained that the reason is that the vaccines do not engender the production of memory T cells, so that every encounter with the vaccine, I'm sorry, every encounter with the virus was what is in medical and physiology terms is called a naive encounter. And in other words, the body doesn't recognize it. The, 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 I'm sorry, there's no memory T cells to recognize it. The different issues than being recognized at all. Uh, but the horsepower really comes from the memory T cells. And that wasn't happening because the vaccines don't induce production of memory T cells. And I went through the science and I, we talked earlier in the conversation about fraudulent science being put out and how vociferous it has become. And there were some studies, I talked about this in the original video, there were some studies coming out saying, oh yes, it produces memory T cells. But when you looked at the studies, this is not, remember, not mistakes, this is we talked about earlier, these studies are not mistaken. These, mis these studies are knowingly, willfully, and intentionally fraudulent. Here's a perfect example. There is one particular test that can tell whether, there, whether a pathogen has engendered the production of memory T cells, and memory T cells to that specific pathogen do exist in the body. There is one technology on the entire planet that does that. And these two or three studies that claimed that the vaccine does produce memory T cells, 
they didn't use that technology. They used a different technology that measures interferon. I'm not going to get into all that. Um, but after it does that, then the study authors made the leap, without evidence, the leap that if you have these substances in existence, then memory T cells must exist. But there's absolutely no evidence that that statement is factual. Yes, this is a precursor, but the precursor doesn't mean you end up with the end result, right? There, there's a sequence of events that go on between precursor and end result of having a memory T cell. And the one technology on the whole planet Earth that could actually show the final outcome that memory T cells do exist after people receive the jab, they, the, those studies refuse to use that technology, and I think it's evident why they did, why they did not. If they had, they would have had to have written up their studies with a different conclusion, the same conclusion to which I came, which is that the vaccines do not engender the production of memory T cells. Um, but my point is, in sharing all of that, that the experts said I was wrong, even though their science was fraudulent. Uh, a lot of people on social media threw links up to those fraudulent studies to say, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and But to get back to the point we're making here about the nature of our fellow citizens, why wasn't anybody else doing that research? To this day, by the way, to this day, I'm the only person that I'm aware of on the planet who's done that research and is talking about that subject. Seven point something billion people on the planet, and I'm the only one talking about it. Why is that? But on, on lesser issues that are not so extreme um, in terms of uh, the numbers, Others were not doing the research. And a lot of them were fighting against the facts, the, the evidence and the data uh, and the conclusions to which they led that I was presenting on social media. A lot of people were adamantly fighting against them. Very few people said, I'm going to go back and do the research because if you're right, I want to know. And if you're wrong, you need to know. Uh, so I'm going to go do that research. No one. Ever. No one. So I, I say all of that to make the point that I think all of these issues, yes, they're medical. Yes, it was SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the therapeutics masquerading as vaccines. Yes, it was about that. But on a whole nother level, since the establishment was lying through their teeth consistently, all, almost constantly, and that was influencing the behavior of, of the American public, does not that does that not bear upon personal liberty? But yet, almost nobody was getting off their ass to do anything about it. And I've talked about the fact before, sort of sliding in here to confirmation bias. I've talked before about the fact that um, people who disagreed with the facts, data, and evidence, and conclusions I was presenting, uh, they would only look at information that provided them with their comfortable confirmation bias. What they'd already decided was true. And then they would try and find sources that supported that. But likewise, people who cheered me on when I talked about the truth about SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the uh, fake vaccines, when I talked about the, the science of that, and they cheered me on, 
It was only because I was providing confirmation bias. They didn't know anything about the science. They weren't saying, I like Dave Champion's work because I've done the research and I know he's right based on the research I've done. They were also saying, I like Dave Champion because he's telling me stuff that that satisfies my desire for confirmation bias. Same thing as the people oppose me looking for their sources. Um, I had a gentleman, I was discussing something with on social media the other day, and it was clear that there's absolutely no evidence to support his position. But he would go out to these crazy websites that have an agenda, and he'd throw up links. You know, and I hate that on social media. Let's have a link argument, okay? And I eventually had to, to end the discussion because he wasn't looking for objective data. He was looking for anything he could find on the internet that confirmed to him his rightness. And you and I talked a little bit the last time, Ernie, about the fact that the views people have, the positions they stake out, um, it could be religion, it could be politics, it, it could be uh, real science versus scientism and so forth. The positions they stake out aren't necessarily based on correctness, factualness, accurateness. They are based on defining self. They have an image. This is who I am. Okay. And there's this bucket, and they throw all of these things in the bucket. This is me. This is who I am. And I think that goes to something that you were alluding to some time ago in this call. Um, that may have very little to do with who they actually really are. It's, it's a picture they paint in their head of who they want to be. And so they adopt all of these positions because it makes them feel like they are really that person. And that brings us all the way back around to somebody puts a bunch of stuff in their bucket about liberty, most, most particularly personal liberty, because that's the foundation of all other liberty, personal liberty. Okay? So they put a bunch of stuff in their bucket. I support this aspect of liberty and that aspect of liberty and, that, and on and on and on. They go throwing all these things in the bucket that define themselves. But then you say, you know, I'd like you to make this little tiny sacrifice for liberty. All of a sudden, they're all, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. So is that really them? All those things they put in the bucket about how much they value and feel passionately about personal liberty? Any of that true? Uh, the answer, in, it, from my point of view, the answer for the vast majority of them is no, it's not true. Because if it was true, and somebody came along and said, can you do this little tiny sacrifice for liberty? They'd be all, hell yeah. Because it would matter to them. It would be a true or real part of who they are. Uh, not a talking point that deludes themselves into a false belief in who they are. I'm done. <laughs> Sorry, well, I got in a chair there. No, no, it's great because there's there's so much to cover there. And um, from 
how is it that we're we're able to be so so persuaded so easily without our questioning? And and you brought up several points that that are so salient. But uh, the first thing is is the programming agenda. We look at the government education system that, that is in place, and we've we've been talking about the United States, but this happens the world over where there are conditioning programs put in place and to where you know you're raising your hand if you want to go to the bathroom you're you're taking tests but all it is is confirmation that you've learned what we want you to learn there's no thinking involved it's more just applying the the memorization portion of our mind and when you talk about Americans being lazy I think that that when we really get to the deep root of of human nature that is, it's like homeostasis. That's where we want to be. We want to be in this comfort zone. And only those who see the value of stepping outside of comfort know that that's the, that's the area of growth. But if we're not cognizant or goal-oriented towards continual growth, then we're just going to always seek comfort. And so, you know, questioning research, doing research that steps outside of that comfort zone because it's much easier to just sit on one's phone and scroll through one of the social media platforms. Or it's so much easier to consume a series on Netflix than to actually go and do the research. But it's really interesting as you brought up the, up the research, Dave, I think that, that you have, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about at Soul Journey, uh, our company is, we have three different processes. One is sole purpose, where we really identify what one's purpose is. And that's not necessarily what one thinks and, and, and then creates on their own, but it comes to them or through them or, or external forces challenge them to do it. And it's accepting that challenge. It's the cave they fear. They accept that challenge. And, and look back on the early years of the income tax and what questions came to my mind, came to your mind, excuse me, came to your mind that led you to the conclusion. You're an incredible researcher, Dave, because of the questions you ask that most people won't even consider. So if you're talking about T cells, most people aren't even going to get to T cells. You know, they're looking at, at, okay, is this mRNA? Okay, what's that? They're going to look that up, but, but don't go a lot further. So the types of questions one asks, and so this, this also maybe comes back to one's own capability to think, but also the skill set at what they have to ask questions. Because the better questions we ask, you know, it's, it's interesting how AI, ChatGPT specifically has come out. And technology, as we, we look at computers, it teaches us how more about human nature. So we go, oh, wow, the way that the input that we put into a computer the better the output is. Okay, well, that's similar to a human being. Okay, great. Now we're looking at, at artificial intelligence and we determine, we can see very quickly within the first few weeks, people are going, holy hell, the better I refine my questions, the better responses I get. Same thing as a human being. The better the questions you ask, the better it leads you to finding the deeper truths. But, but to ask, but to ask that better question, <clears throat> excuse me for interrupting. <clears throat> to ask the better question, they have to give a shit. Yes, absolutely. Yes. 
I just wanted to throw that out there because <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt your flow, but <clears throat> that that's to me the stumbling block in our country. You know, yes, you're absolutely right, Ernie. They have to ask better. It's imperative if we're going to have the country we just, some of us deserve um, that we ask better questions, <clears throat> but we have to actually give a shit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to make yeah. that point. Yeah, no, that re it reaffirms what a couple of people said. I mean, <clears throat> one, I believe Socrates was the other, but, but half the solution to a problem is asking the right question. Obviously, Dave, giving a shit is it precedes all of that. And if the program is to just accept authority, and that's what program an individual is running on, they never even get to, should I even ask a question? They're just going, oh, this is what the authority says. Let me just follow that. And what I find interesting is I spoke with a number of individuals who, who maybe they didn't recognize that that was their, their program that they had already bought into but they had intended on on going and getting the vaccination or the the mRNA. Can I? I just want to interrupt you for one second. Yeah. When you talk about working with people, I just want to be clear because you might be leaving the audience with a question mark. Um, I just want to tell the audience that you these issues of I'm I'm probably the wrong one to be explaining this. You probably should be, but this process of waking up and Seeing yourself more clearly is part of what you do for a living. You work with people to achieve that end, to bring them out of the place they are and get them to the place they need to be. You you do that. So when you say work with people, I want the audience to understand at least a rough framework of what that means. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll touch on that a little mm -hmm. bit later, but I want to return to, again, people who have, have subscribed to... I'm going to take the medical community's authority and narrative on this particular subject. And yet there were many of them that received either this gut feeling, some of them did use those exact words, this gut feeling. Some Dave even said it was like a voice in my head speaking, or it was this thought that came clearly, do not do it. And I don't fault people for not going and doing the research if that's the indication although they should still question that they should go why am i feeling that and then go and 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 ask the question and and a lot of times we help people get to the right question by asking what is the right question what what don't i know what don't i know to even ask and sometimes that can yeah. begin begin the process the old you don't know what you don't know yeah, yes. And when and when somebody doesn't even know that that it's right to, to ask a question, as we discussed before, they're they're never going to get there. They're just going to accept, oh, I, I either like Dar Dave's narrative or I subscribe to to medical yeah. professionals. Narrative. To, to Anthony Fauci's narrative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, you know, going back to the, the government um, school process, I remember, Dave, that I'm curious if you have this memory, but I remember kids were being let out of class to go swish fluoride in their mouth because it was supposed to help tooth decay. Right, right. Well, help to prevent tooth decay. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. That's <laughs> what I wanted to do. Um, 
I wanted to get out of class. I didn't want to continue to sit in my seat. And so I started to excuse myself because I was part of this program. Um, my parents were not, I mean, they, they had done research and they're like, no, 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 you're not going to be a part of that program. However, I would go to the drinking fountain, put water in my mouth, and I would just start swishing because we got to run around the school a couple of times for that, that period of time. But what was interesting is to know that that was a, a government program that was not only instituted in the U.S., it was instituted in Germany in the 1930s. What is Lovely. it about <laughs> that chemical that was important for school-aged children? Was it all about dental health? It's It's been scientifically proven that it has an effect on the pineal gland. It's a crystal. And this crystal then becomes clouded. It it's shrouded with this fluoride so that it cannot operate. And, and, and the pineal gland, just let me interrupt again to bring the audience along. Uh, the pineal gl gland is a, I'm not going to get into what it is. I will say most people don't know what it is. And I will tell you, if you don't know, look it up. It is a critical part of your physiology and it bears upon who you actually are. Okay, Ernie, carry on. Very succinct, Dave, because that, that is so critical why, why people understand what it is and why it was important for Germany to utilize this toxic, inorganic product to numb the minds. Uh, people who are listless, people cannot think for themselves. They're, they accept a program without even knowing that there's a program being presented. And so this is just one of them. But we look at... at the EU, where they don't allow particular pesticides to be utilized that are completely okay here in the United States, or even preservatives. Uh, there's a great book that I read years ago called Brandwashing. And basically, it's it's how corporations were utilizing it. I know that one of the examples they used was Carmex. Do you remember Carmex, the lip balm? They had with oh yeah <laughs> yeah I carried it in my pocket proudly because I didn't like the little stick for some reason I like that um, but they were putting in an, an ingredient that was a drying agent and so the more you applied it the more you needed to apply it it it, it had that reverse effect and so um, you know again there are so many ingredients utilized as preservatives that are addictive agents that get people to consume 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 even when they're they're physically full, cannot eat more, this overrides that. The chemicals that are being put in as ingredients to these foods override that. And that's why there's an overconsumption of calories. That's one of the biggest issues uh, for the human body is an overconsumption of cal calories. Of course, when you have these toxic ingredients, you know, those, those are going to have that negative effect on organs and, and the lymphatic system as well. But it's this this overcomp or excuse me, overconsumption of calories that that obviously is going to affect weight gain and create create a lot of more a lot more ailments that the body could easily eliminate if it didn't have to process all of the toxins along with the over capacity that the body even has to 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 process those calories. So anyway, a little yeah, go ahead. Let me add a little something to that part about um, how much we eat, and, and then I'll let you get back to what you were saying. Uh, there was an experiment done some years ago 
that compared uh, meals that were predominantly carbohydrate, meals that were predominantly protein, and meals that were predominantly fat. And they found that the number one macro that does not trigger your body's satiety is carbohydrates. You can eat them and 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 eat them, and they don't trigger that sense of satiation. Next in line was protein. Protein does a better job, but it also took a bit longer on that timeline for the body to say, I'm satiated, I can't eat anymore. The final part was they gave the people a diet that was predominantly fat. And they found that satiate that, that, that sense of satiation was very rapid. Now, what have they been what has the establishment been telling the American people for the last 50, 60 years? Cut down on your fat. So fat is twice as calorically dense as protein or carbohydrates. It creates a sensation of satiation much sooner. And the establishment doesn't want you to eat foods that other than highly processed foods. They don't want you to eat whole foods that have fat. You can eat, the government will tell you, go ahead and eat all the, the highly processed foods you want that contain a lot of fat, but don't eat whole foods that contain fat. And I'll just leave that right there. If people want to understand more about that, they can go to body science. But uh, when I said that Americans being the most chronically ill people in world history for all time is not happenstance. It didn't just accidentally happen. Uh, the, these are some of the reasons that they they tell you, this is fine. Do this. This is good. This is healthy. Oh, don't do that. And in reality, in most cases, if you invert them, you have the truth. Yeah, in so many, so many ways. The fact that you just made me think of, of Edward Bernays again, the, the man who wrote the book Propaganda, specifically that title. And of course, back in those days when he named the book Propaganda, it didn't have the negative connotation that it has now. It was almost as a promotional book, like, hey, here's how you sell. It's Propaganda. And one of the things that he noted, and I think this book was written back in the late 30s, uh, if I recall, one of the things that he noted is that businesses are, are really clamoring and they want this information. They want to utilize this, this uh, propaganda to shape the minds of individuals because it's good for profits, good for the bottom line. What he also said is that politicians have yet to start utilizing propaganda to the capacity to steer the minds of the people to direct a country, and it reminds clearly, me clearly, clearly that's an old book. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. They've they've uh, they've grabbed it. They've, they've they're onto it. And Roger Stone. Yes, great example. Um, and and this really comes back to to really the the crux of what our conversation is. Dave is in reclaiming one's authority. One has to be more aware, aware that there are there is an opposition. And I'm not trying to talk about conspiracies here. We're talking about people who have agendas just to make money. 
And, you know, when we look at why do doctors present things as fact or why do people buy in? Well, the American Medical Association was established and funded by John D. Rockefeller, who was finding, trying to find new ways to use his petroleum products. These petroleum products would block certain signs and signals in the body. And so, hey, that we have a temporary relief. It's just like chemotherapy. Dave, 3%. Success rate. Now, people will say, oh, well, yeah, my, I, I lived three years after chemo uh, cancer free. Almost inevitably, people are returning back to that cancer, whereas others will go a more natural route, not accept the chemo, shape different belief systems, and they'll live for 20 plus years cancer free. And, you know, obviously the body eventually will break down. That's part of the matter. Um, all matter eventually breaks down. But we are meant to be live. The human body can exist, you know, some say 120 to 130 years. I plan on doing that, by the way. Me too. And I'm not being, I'm not being facetious. Uh, me, I'm glad you were on the same page. I know others who, who believe that, that that is a possibility. And it's because of our understanding of, of our human nature and our human biology. And yet the average age has just been reduced here in the US, I think it was 78 right. a couple of years ago, now it's 76. So are the age of the average human, but, but the quality of life that people are experiencing in their 60s and 70s has also declined substantially. And it's so- shocking in my, in my to, to be living in the wealthiest nation on earth with all of our medical technology and all of our scientific prowess and to actually have people's quality of life in their later years being lower than it used to be, people need to ask why that is. Ask better questions to repeat what you said. They need to ask better fucking questions. I know guys that tell me, oh, if I make it to 80, I'm good. If I die at 80, and I, I'm thinking, the fuck is that about? You're you're okay dying at 80. Uh, the only thing that's in my head is either you have no passion for living or you've allowed yourself to be so physically and emotionally beat down and run down that leaving this plane is something to look forward to. Uh, and I, I, I admit, I cannot connect with that at all. Um, the day I go, uh, unless I die in some sort of violent accident, uh, I'll be going kicking and screaming because I want to be here because I love life. Um, I have a purpose. I'm not sure I know. I'm not sure I can quantify exactly what it is, but I'm damn sure that I have one. And I'm, I'm attempting to live out that purpose to the best of my uh, consciousness and my my recognition of it. I'm attempting to live that out to the best of its capability every single day. And I love it. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So why would I be okay dying in a couple of years? I mean, I'm not going to be 80 in a couple of years, but nevertheless, why, why would I be okay dying in several years from now? I totally am disconnected from that reality. But I think there's dramatically more people who think like that 
than who think like me. I'm sorry for the interruption. No, that's your spot on in, in bringing up a point that is so critical, Dave. You you reclaimed your authority, I don't know when, maybe back in high school. Um, yeah, to maybe, <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you saw certain authority figures as full of shit. And that was that was the beginning of questioning authority, at least. But reclaiming one's authority is what leads one to having that passion for life. You know, there are so many people who live with miserable careers, but they keep the same job because it's stable. It provides the income that they need. They fucking hate it, but they still they still do it. They live in a relationship that is miserable. By the way, there have been times I have financially struggled and people would look at me, given that I am articulate and look at my past and what I've done professionally, what I've achieved successfully uh, in business and so forth. And I think at certain points in my life, if I told people where I was at financially, they would have been appalled. They're like, how the fuck can you be there? And it was exactly what you're talking about. I wasn't willing to do this or such. Because I had other goals and trying to get there um, was not always financially comfortable. And these are the difficult choices, Dave, that most people will not even consider. Because, again, they're thinking from the egoic. This is what society and the program has taught me. Schools have taught me this is the path to follow in order to be successful. And then when they get into their when they retire at age 65 to now live the golden years, their health is shit. They don't feel like what they expected they would feel like. They thought, oh, hey, I'm going to reach this age. I'm going to retire. And then I'm going to go enjoy life. Dave, I, I, I'm imagining that you don't have this idea of retirement in the way that, oh, I'm going to unplug from the things that that I'm passionate about. That's your I think the only I think the only idea I had for the future um, that has turned out to be absolutely false is I figured long, like I said, I'm going to be 64 here in a couple of weeks. I thought long ago, I would understand women. I'm I still don't. We have to continue to have challenges, Dave. It's, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's one that's not supposed to be figured out. I don't think. Okay. Um, by, by maybe either gender, but um, you know, what's, what's interesting is we look at, this idea, and this again is another belief system, another program, is I'm going to keep doing the thing that's miserable because there's this light at the end of the tunnel, which is this is where I'll be comfortable. I'm going to experience this comfort. Comfort. The problem is, is they're not obeying natural law, whether we're talking about biology, whether we're talking about psychology, they're not adhering to what is an actual reality, they've bought into the lie that brings them to a false expectation. One yeah, that let me let me just interrupt you again. You've used the phrase natural law several times, and I just want to clarify for the audience because that has a that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I want to clarify for the audience when Ernie says natural law, he is not talking about what so many Americans believe I'm, I'm sorry it can mean whatever anybody wants it to mean so i want to be i want to be clear with how ernie does not mean it many americans think natural law means god's law is above man's law 
Okay. That's like a legal thing. Uh, that's not at all how Ernie is using it. So if he continues to use the phrase natural laws, he has six or seven or eight times so far. Don't go there. It doesn't mean God's laws above man's law. He's, nothing. He's he's talking about the way Thomas Jefferson referred to nature. He's not talking about legal things. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. You know, I, I think of uh, when you bring up Tom, Thomas Jefferson, I think about this statement that Nikola Tesla had had shared. And when we know all of the amazing inventions, and not only the inventions, but also how he foresaw the future, that we would have within our hands the ability to communicate not only audio anywhere in the world, but through video, see one another. He predicted this back in the 30s. And what he talked about was this core that exists within the universe that provides knowledge, strength, and inspiration. We all have access to this. It's, it's again, I think I referred to this earlier uh, from Einstein, who said that the intuitive mind is the sacred gift and the rational mind is the faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has completely forgotten the gift. So that's oh, fair enough. That's a, fair enough. That's how we view government. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's so interesting is, is within that rational mind. That's where the programming can enter in. And so even though we might be thinking that it's rational, it's just the it's truly the egoic mind. It still has a place. We should be still be able to or should still utilize the rational or analytical mind in asking questions. But it's when we again, when we think we know things and we're relying on that analytical mind as, well, this is what I learned. And so this is what I was taught to repeat. So I'm just going to go with that. We completely ignore the possibility of what we don't know, which is that intuitive mind can reveal that by asking better questions. So again, harm, using these, these two minds in harmony, we then have access to, wow, there are, there are answers that we haven't even thought of either for centuries or maybe mankind hasn't, but it's there and it's accessible. And so anyway, I, I know I kind of went back to, to a topic, but... Um, you know, Dave, uh, you talked about purpose. It's so foundational. And once someone knows what their purpose is, their day-to-day, -day, their moment-to-moment -moment changes because they can gain clarity in every situation that there is a purpose in them right this second, right now that one's experiencing. And even though their grander purpose might be, you know, I'll, I'm thinking of you right now, in the ability to research and share the truth that, like you said, nobody else is sharing what you're sharing. It's there for everyone else to find. It's available, but nobody's doing that work. That is what you are driven to do. And so this is, is more than maybe even purpose, but but mission that that helps others gain access to information that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. I know I did. I wouldn't have. Uh, had access to the information that you provided, even though I was on this path before you and I met regarding the income tax, what you revealed and the research you did, it just it blew what I had already discovered completely away and substantiated so much more. So again, I think of, of purpose, but Dave, in the moment to Can moment, I, yeah, go ahead. I just want to mention something about purpose. Um, and, and this is for the audience. 
it seems to me that when people think about, you know, in those mo- in, in in the one and a half seconds they spend in their life in self reflection, um, and they say, "What is my purpose on the planet?" It's my impression that what they're really looking for is some sort of external signals, external validation, external circumstances that will tell them something. They're not they're not looking at who they are for the answer. okay let me let me explain that. Whatever my financial successes may have been in life, I I assure you, had I not been true to myself, they would have been so much greater. I have, in that sense, this is going to sound weird, and I don't mean it kind of the way it sounds. In that sense, I have sacrificed so much um, material uh, gain in the world because there's just things... I, I couldn't follow that path. As a matter of fact, I, I was in the corporate world selling high tech gear. I owned a company that did that, and I made a shitload of money. And uh, but in the end, I had to stop because it wasn't me. I walked away from boatloads of money in my future because. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I knew there was something else in here and in here, not external. In here and in here, there was something else calling me. Where I have come, I'm going to use myself as an example only because it's the example I have, right? It's. I'm sure others have their own experience that is, perhaps very similar, perhaps a bit different. Where I eventually came down on is that my purpose, and this may sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but in no way do I mean that because this this is not up to me. I didn't pursue this purpose. This purpose became evident to me based on what satisfies me, what fulfills me. What fulfills me is to share facts, data, and evidence with people that lead to them understanding reality. And that may sound pretentious. I mean, I say it and it sounds pretentious. Um, it, it, It sounds pretentious because it's like, well, Dave, who the fuck are you to tell people what you know the truth is? And I don't mean it that way. I, I mean it more like I would like to present information to people that will open their eyes. Um, of course, needless to say, the information I provide, um, I believe in a thousand percent. And, and I think if we use as an example, income tax shattering this and body science, uh, the universal, and I do mean that, that's not an exaggeration, the universal viewpoint that people hold of the material and income tax shattering the myths when they close that final page and the the universal viewpoint that people have of body science when they close that final page uh, they are saying dave 
you opened my eyes to facts, data, and evidence that leads to a conclusion that brings reality into my existence. Thank you. And obviously, Ernie, it's been 13 years since Income Tax Shattering the Mist came out. In that time, I've written one other book, Body Science. Uh, I believe I am a skilled communicator, a good author. Why haven't I written a bunch of other books? Because I have this purpose. So unless I have something to say that's of value to my fellow man, I can't summons up the passion to do that kind of work. I could have never written Income Tax Shattering the Mist. And I, I think most people who have read it would say it is a monumental accomplishment. And that's not about me. I'm talking about the volume of verifiable, the mountains of verifiable, um, conclusive, inarguable information in Income Tax Shattering the Mist. I think everyone who has ever read it would say, putting this together with this mountains and mountains of evidence laid out in a way that every single American can understand. I think everyone who's ever read that book, and we're talking tens and tens of thousands of people, everybody would say what Dave did was an absolutely monumental task. Almost, and again, not, not being pretentious, almost like a superhuman task. And I say that because nobody else did it, right? Um, the information is all out there. I mean, I, di I didn't pull it out of my ass. I did the research, 17 years of it. Okay, So I think 17 years of research going into a book is monumental in and of itself. <laughs> but... Um, I could, my point is that monumental level of that monumental product that ended up coming out only was a product of my purpose. And my, and, and I have a passion for my purpose. And I don't have a passion for anything that's not, not, not I won't say not anything. Um, when it comes to work, I don't have a passion for anything that doesn't serve my purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, so clearly, Dave. I'm loving that you're using the this example, you as an example. I truly appreciate it because it exemplifies. And, and it's, it's why, Dave, when I was listening to your radio show early on, again, this was probably at least at least 10 years before you had written had written the book. And I'm like, I, I have to meet Dave because I felt and heard your purpose. There's one, um, yeah, and I know you touched on this as, you know, having these external things tell us what our purpose is. We're never going to get to purpose if that's the case. Carl Jung uh, talks about this, saying that if, you're, if your path is super clear, you're probably on someone else's. And so I think back on 17 years before you wrote the book, when you started your research, did you know, Dave, that I'm going to write a book on the income tax? Oh, hell no. No. Um, just all, I knew, all I knew was, I, I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's not the purpose here today. But back before I knew anything about the income tax, when I was just the average uninformed schmo about the income tax, 
the IRS um, took $32,000 out of my company's payroll account. And it, due to my law enforcement background, this question was in my mind. If I wanted to go seize evidence, um, except for some narrow legal exceptions, on the whole, 98% of the time, if I wanted to go seize evidence, I needed a warrant. If I wanted to seize somebody's property, I needed a court order or some other form of uh, a warrant or some other form of court order, right? I couldn't just say, I say it would be best if I seized your shit. So I'm going to. Our system of jurisprudence, 200 plus years of it, 235, six now, our history of jurisprudence doesn't allow that. But yet somebody at the IRS, without going to the judicial branch in any way, shape, or form, had literally pulled a piece of a, a, a printed form out of their desk, filled in some blanks, signed it, had their supervisor countersign it, ripped off a copy and mailed it to the, my, the financial institution where I was banking. And the bank just gave them my property. Now, there's a lot more that goes into that. There's nuances of law and so forth that goes into all of this that I'm not going to get into today. But it was that, that simple question Without going to the judicial branch, how is it possible for a government employee to take my shit? Because the government employee says so. I'd read the Constitution enough times to know that there was no tax exception to the Fourth Amendment. That was the sole reason I started researching the income tax. There's some other, some very good friends of mine who, who, for whom I have great respect and who are not bullshit artists told me that the income tax has never been imposed on the ordinary working American. And I took that with a grain of salt because at that point, like everybody else, I, I bought the bullshit. You know, yeah, you know, the, the two things that are unavoidable is death and, and taxation. Of course, normally they mean the income tax. Um, so, you know, I was just the average schmo. I, I didn't have any particular thoughts about the income tax other than I didn't like paying it. Um, other than that, I didn't have a thought. But these gentlemen, for whom I have respect, um, shared a truth with me that I did not know was a truth at the time. I, I completely understood it was a truth to them. I did not know that it was in reality a truth. But then I had the question about how can a government official just wave a magic wand fill out a piece of paper, and take my shit. That was a problem for me legally, constitutionally. Something was amiss. And I guess this goes to another angle on my purpose. Uh, if I believe you're taking, if you are abusing the law to fuck with people, someone's personal liberty, uh, I will look into that. Okay, And it wasn't really that they, I didn't begin my research because they took $32,000 out of my payroll account. That really wasn't even my money. 
It was the money of my employees who had earned it, right? Um, but it, it begged the larger question, is the government doing this to the American people? Is the government just some fucking asshole sitting at the IRS office, fills out a form and mails it off to the bank, and millions of Americans have their, their shit taken? Because if, if that's what's going on, some something somewhere is amiss. Something's broken somewhere, or I don't understand what's going on, but something isn't right. And the understanding is something was amiss and that it did directly impact personal liberty of millions of people. It wasn't a selfish motivation because they took, took the money out of my account. The fact that, wait a second, our servant is doing this that no the servant is not entitled to decide that he wants to take the the the, the silver silverware and and leave the house with it our servant is not allowed to do that but it appeared that's exactly what the servant was doing and i had to get to the bottom of that and that that liberty equation started the 17 years of research Thank you for sharing that with your listeners, Dave. I know that, that many of them may have heard this. I know that, that that's a story that that I'm somewhat familiar with, as, as you and I have had a number of conversations, but I appreciate you sharing it because I was able to receive out of this a, a deeper clarity. I don't think anyone else in this world was equipped to do what you did with income tax shattering the myths. And your law enforcement background and your experience the experiences that had led you up to that point in your life and also your ability to be the communicator you are, it's, it's almost as if there was this calling. And I know that that's what you felt. It's, it's propelled you. It's pulled you to do this work and it's pulled you along the path. It's led you to individuals who put you, who gave you new information. They weren't meant to write the book or be the communicator of that information, but you were led to people along the path. You were led to pieces of information along the path. And this is what knowing and identifying what one's purpose is from that core true self versus the ego. The ego, again, is just answering the question, how does the external society expect, what does it expect of me? And this is why marketing, mark, great marketers know that people are making decisions about the car they drive, the house they live in. That's all related to how does this make me look amongst my core friends, coworkers, family? Does, is this okay? And I'm hearing from you, Dave, that you took on different uh, income opportunities or gave up even certain income opportunities because you didn't care what that group of individuals thought about you. You were following that deep core driving force within. And so this is what we're talking about in finding one's purpose. It's getting to that core purpose that, again, I believe, based on, on my own personal journey as well, what I've been propelled to learn, the books that I've gone on, uh, gone on to read and have been led from one book to another and have been introduced to people that appeared out of nowhere to teach me certain things, Dave, our paths are different and they're meant to be. However, all truth comes together. Yeah. And that's where I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed so many years ago that have helped me continue on my journey of discovering this inner path 
So when we talk about soul purpose, that's one of, of the, the three focuses of soul transformation, which is within the company's soul journey. The second one is soul health, which touches on, yes, body, biology, but more on the psyche, understanding the patterns in our lives, which include programs and belief systems, but recognizing how certain patterns specifically created the specific results that we're now receiving in life and how to change those. And then the, the last one is soul guidance, how to receive divine guidance. And I know we've touched on this a little bit, but synchronicities, again, this includes right people, right information showing up at the exact time that we need it. We're researching, researching, running into a stumbling block, running into a wall, and then boom, out of nowhere, an area we totally unexpected. Here comes this synchronicity that provides that information or an individual that comes into our lives. Uh, and for others, and maybe you too, Dave, uh, a dream. And we know that scientists like Niels Bohr, father of quantum mechanics, he's trying to figure out how the atom works. And as, as he's working on it, working on it, he has this dream and the dream is of the solar system. And so he asks the question, hey, I'm working on trying to figure out how the atom works with the nucleus, the electrons, the protons, like how does that, and now I'm having a dream of the solar system. I wonder if those two are related and, if, and sure enough, he finds that they operate by the same law. And so it's just fascinating what we have access to. And then there's another, another tool within Soul Guidance, which is active imagination, which allows us to tap into what's possible. And, and again, everyone's journey is unique, and this is what we help them, them tap into. But, but Dave, I've, I've watched you live this. I've watched you experience this. And it's, it's exciting to be able to know people like you who are, are examples of following their path. And again, not having this idea, this false idea of, of comfort someday, you will continue to challenge yourself. And it's by that, as we think about exercise, it's challenge. Lifting weights is challenging the muscles. That's how they grow. That's how we maintain them. If we're not going to challenge anything, if we're just going to accept things as they are, we fall into that comfort levels, into those comfort levels, and then matter deteriorates even more quickly. Yes. Um, yeah. On, on the issue of exercise and the body, uh, you know, I live in a small town that has a lot of elderly people. Uh, I didn't know this when I moved here, but it, it is nevertheless the truth. Um, this is sort of a mecca for white, older Americans who want to live in a community with other white, older Americans and only white, older Americans. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that when I first moved here. It was, it was an interesting realization as I started speaking to some of the older people who lived here, and some of them were forthright about what brought them and, and some of their friends and peers here. Uh, but nevertheless, one of the things I noticed is that uh, obviously overweight, obese, a ton of them, this, this town probably in that regard I'm going to guess it's worse than most places um, because, for instance, I drive into Vegas and it, it's like the the circumference of people's waist shrunk, must shrink in Vegas. They have they have different laws of physics there. Um, but out here, being overweight and obese, it's it's rampant. But one of the things I noticed, even those people here who are of what I would call a normal healthy weight. 
their muscles are completely flaccid. Um, I don't know how they pick up a glass of water. And knowing what I know about the importance of resistance training to the health of the human body, I think a lot of people imagine that resistance training, another term for lifting heavy things or pushing heavy things. I think a lot of people imagine that you do that, that people who are vain do that. And certainly some people who do that are vain, but that's not why you do it. Uh, Let me rephrase that. That's not why you should do it. There is something in the body called the lymph system, and this is all laid out in body body science. I'm not going to talk about this for very long. Uh, and, and the lymph system is critical to a number of functions in your body, most notably the immune system. And unlike the blood circulatory system that has a pump, the lymph system does not have a pump. The way lymph fluid moves throughout the lymphatic system is by the contraction and release, a contraction and release, a contraction and release of various muscle, skeletal muscle throughout your body. If you're not on an almost daily basis, if you're not contracting, releasing, contracting, releasing, and thus that is serving as that pumping mechanism that moves the lymph fluid through the lymphatic system, if you're not doing that, you're not healthy, period. I don't care whether you're disease-free. If you're not doing that, if you're not moving the lymph fluid, then you're not healthy. You simply haven't been hammered yet. Um, so it's not about vanity. In you know, uh, Nobody has to go to the gym. There's all sorts of calisthenics they can do at home. But I, you know, I, I see, especially in my town, but I see, I see it elsewhere, uh, that that's a bother. And this goes back to perhaps the early part of the conversation where I talked about people being lazy. Um, it's a bother. It takes time away from other important things like watching television. So well, during SARS-CoV-2, we knew that the vast majority of people who were dying, they were elderly with multiple comorbidities. Now, how did they get those comorbidities? They got them by two different avenues. One was what they put in their mouth. And the other was the vast majority of them didn't move their lymph fluid around. So their immune systems were highly compromised before SARS-CoV-2 ever came out of China. So I I don't feel bad for the people who died from SARS from COVID-19. I don't feel bad for them. I feel bad for the people they left behind. I feel bad for the brothers, the sisters, in some cases the parents. From in many cases, the children that now had this void in their life because 
the older person was brainwashed concerning uh, nutritional physiology, which I thankfully straighten out in body science, but equally so was just sedentary and lethargic, and their immune system was highly compromised for the reasons we just discussed concerning the lymph fluid. So my point being, I suppose, that the vast majority of those SARS-CoV-19 deaths, the vast majority could have been prevented by personal conduct, by making the right choices. I did a video, again, taken down by YouTube, where I talked about the amount of chronic disease. And of course, prior to the 20th century, everybody um, contracted their muscle and released, not everybody, virtually everybody, because we didn't have the conveniences of modern day life. If you wanted to survive, you got out there and, and you used your body to survive, right? Um, so People didn't have to choose to exercise and move that lymph fluid around. Life dictated that they do that if they wanted to exist, if they wanted to feed themselves, if they wanted to, you know, just the very basics of life, they had to engage in physical activity if they wanted to survive. Um, And then, of course, chronic disease was unknown because everybody was eating whole food, right? Nobody was eating highly processed foods. Um, Meat was a considerable part of the diet of most Americans, not necessarily people around the world, but but many, many Americans. And I did a video where I talked about what the death toll would have been if SARS-CoV-2 came on the scene in, as an example, 1890. And my estimate was deaths, and remember, the the current perception of deaths from COVID-19 is exaggerated because there was no distinction between died from COVID and died with COVID. So the number is exaggerated to begin with. But no matter whether we take the exaggerated numbers or a more realistic set of numbers, my estimate was that probably somewhere in the realm of just 2% of the people who died would have died if SARS-CoV-2 had come on the scene uh, in 1890. In fact, if it had come on the scene in 1890, it probably would have been a complete non-event. It wouldn't even be recorded in the history books. It wouldn't even be recorded in medical history books. It would have been such a trivial issue. But we set ourselves up for a different dynamic. We did it. The virus didn't do it. We did it. And we collectively don't accept responsibility. That brings it back to where where we first began this conversation, which is personal responsibility and asking ourselves, you again, you use this this woman in the original um, story of someone as an example who was not accepting that responsibility. And really, our our desire here, Dave, you have a a group of listeners that that are different thinkers than the vast majority of Americans. And so, Our challenge is for each of us, you and me both, Dave, as well as all of your listeners, to look ourselves in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. What isn't as good as I want it to be? That's what starts the question of challenging ourselves. So, you know, when I look in the mirror and I looked in the mirror years ago, am I in the physical condition that I want to be in? If the answer is no, 
please take action. Pick up Dave's book. If you already haven't bought his book, pick up his book. Start taking the steps because as we if, if we just continue to believe the idea that's untrue of what life is going to be like in the future when we retire, just because we have that as an idea does not guarantee shit. We must abide by what we talked about before, those natural laws that bring about the success that, that we believe in, that we want. Because that, again, is something that's born within us, to be able to live a long, healthy life and enjoy what life has available for us. But by doing it with a false narrative is going to be very disappointing and very sad indeed, both for, for individuals and, of course, for the family members who survive that. So, Dave, I'd like to offer, if, if you're okay, I would like to offer, maybe we'll put a, a link at the bottom of this, uh, for anyone who wants to jump on a 10 to 15-minute phone call with me and ask some questions about how they can improve either asking questions or the process of individuation, finding purpose, tapping into some of their own patterns and resolving those, because this is a process that will help people achieve what they want to achieve and put them on that path, again, to discovering purpose, accessing tools that, that maybe they don't even know or, or have awareness that, that are available to them. Uh, I'd like to offer that to, to your listeners um, and have maybe a shortened version of this conversation with anyone who wants to participate. I would love that. And something you said, because a recollection, a gentleman that has a very similar background. I mean, we both are from Los Angeles. We were both in the telecommunications technology side. He still is. Um, but we were both in that industry at the same time decades ago. He once said to me, as we're talking about similar issues to you, what we've talked about today, he said, most, he said, people could lead better lives. Most people don't want to. So I bring that up to make the point that I don't know that it is they don't want to. I wonder, I mean, I don't have answers. Let me be clear. I, I, whatever my skill sets may be, understanding my fellow man is not, uh, not one of my strong points. But I wonder if it's not so much that they don't want to, it's that they are... They have hamstrung themselves by the various dynamics and behaviors and <clears throat> patterns, as you mentioned a moment ago, that have embedded themselves all around them um, like some sort of a, 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 a tight woven web. So it's not maybe that they don't want to, it's that they don't see a way because in, in all their years or all their decades of living, they have created a system that's pretty much constrains their own choices, constrains their own outlook, constrains their own viewpoint. Um, and so having known already for the many, many years I have, and having had many similar discussions to the one that, that you all have had the opportunity to uh, watch or listen to today, I can't think of a person I know who is better suited if you're if you're curious, if maybe you have created that system of constraint that's preventing you from seeing things in the way you might, making decisions that might be that you might in the end 
see as much more favorable. You know, one of the kind of things, why didn't I do that years ago kind of thing? If you want to explore that, um, I can't think of anybody better to explore that with than Ernie. Um, and for those of you who've been following me for a long time, uh, let me be clear. Ernie is a lot more empathetic than I am. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to call me and have that discussion. Um, so, yes, um, er Ernie's the right guy to do that. And Ernie, I, I would love if you make that information available. Awesome, Dave. Dave, I really appreciate the time we've been able to spend spend together, have this conversation, which is even deeper than, than what we went in, in some of our previous ones, and also for the idea of, of bringing this to listeners, because those who, who again, claim that, that their individual or personal liberty is important to them, it's time we all get really real and truthful with ourselves about what that really means, and that it, it does start with the individual. All right, my friend, I know we're uh, pushing a bit more than two hours, uh, which is pretty much, I think, what we discussed in terms of, of today's call. Uh, thank you for making the time available. And I hope, again, this was a completely novel thing for my show. I hope the audience has found some value in the time that you and I have taken today for them. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you, Dave. Have a great one. Take care. Bye-bye.